Hello, and welcome to Two Bye Guys. I'm here today with a special guest, Gabriel Novo, a.k.a. the Bisexual Nomad. Welcome to Two Bye Guys, Gabriel. Thank you for having me. So Gabriel is a bisexual activist, as is everyone who comes on this show. Uh, He is, though, literally doing a lot of great stuff on his social medias as Bisexual Nomad. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram, at Bisexual Nomad. He's also writing for Unicorn Zine, which is a project of Bi Pride UK to help build queer community and represent bi experiences. He's in the UK at the moment. Hello from across the, well, way across the pond, not even. Uh, (laughs) And Gabriel also runs a small indie publishing company called Caffeine and Ink. He's also a photographer and is working on some very cool stuff online that I've been watching come to fruition with his photography. So welcome again, Gabriel, to Two Bye Guys. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, I remember when you were first talking about this project. So from like yeah. all the way back then in New York to now right. actually be on it with you is, is fantastic. It's very cool. And, you know, it's been a while since I've seen you in person, obviously, before you moved to the UK, before the pandemic. But uh, we met at by request, like Alex and I met. And so we, you have been, you've known about this project since, you know, pretty, pretty much from when we started talking about it and thinking of it. Uh, so it is really yeah. nice to have you on here. A lot of this stuff uh, we've talked about with you at by request and outside. Yeah, yeah. It feels like a couple of lifetimes ago, but yeah. Have you, before we get into you, have you had like much by community since by request or, or was that like a pinnacle? Because for me, that there's nothing quite like it. It's been going through the pandemic, but you know, I'm excited for things to return in person. By request has been a sort of, yeah, pinnacle would be a a good way of putting it. I've kind of unfairly compared everything to by request. And I keep searching for that level of community and support and discussion. And it's Mm -hmm. tough. It's tough because whenever I, I speak to anybody here about by request, they're like, oh, God, we wish there was something like this in London. And I'm like, yeah, I, I would love yeah. it, too. Yeah. Um, by request continues like online on a good day. We get a dozen people there. And I think in many other parts of the country and the world, probably even in person, a handful of people at a by group is is a success. And what was so amazing about by request is there would consistently be 30 to 40 people in a room. And that was kind of one of the things that, that broke me free from being so scared to identify that way was not just seeing like a couple people comfortable with it and talking about it, but like a room full of people that like so full, some people had to sit on the floor that, that, Oh, this is like a big real thing. It's not just a handful of us. So was that, you know, that was really special. And I hope that can be replicated elsewhere moving forward after this pandemic is fully behind us. I would love to be able to find that or maybe rebuild that um, because you're right. There's something life-changing about being in a room of people and we're all, we're all trying to figure it out. Like nobody's got an answer and there is no one size fits all for being bisexual. So it's, it's all these amazing people coming from completely different directions and angles and life experiences and just hearing that and being part of that and and just knowing that you're like, Oh, 
I'm not alone. Like I'm not alone in, in being confused or being, um, you know, afraid to come out or, yeah. or in still trying to figure it out, even if I am okay with the label. Um, yeah. it, it was so supportive in ways that I'm still trying to pick apart now. And totally, I, I haven't been to a by request since what 2019. So it's, yeah, it's, right. it's been a while. Right. Probably me either. I, I totally agree. It was such a diverse room with people of diverse experiences and, and, you know, I didn't always agree with everything I heard, but even with <laughs> like, you know, so many different types of people, everyone had this thing at their core that was like, we get this, we understand you and why you're here and what, you know, even if you're confused, like we've been there too. And so there's this core like similarity and then all these very different ways of expressing it and viewing fluid sexuality. So that brings us to you, Gabriel. Hmm. How do you identify both on sexuality spectrums or any other spectrums you want to identify on? And uh, let's start with that and take it from there. I'm curious what your identity means to you. Well, I am cisgender. uh, So I am uh, a man. I'm okay with that. Um, I'm I'm just okay with it. We'll talk. We'll we'll dig more into that later. There's there's some drawbacks to being a guy. So yeah, we could definitely we can definitely (laughs) chat about that later. Um, But I'm bisexual, and uh, what's funny is I'm a little older. So some of the terms I grew up with were older, lesbian, gay, bisexual. I mean, that was about it. You know, uh, growing up in the '80s and such, and it was in the in the by request room where bisexuality really for me began to settle and fit not just from a, a personal attraction and, and you know romantic attraction way but also from a political standpoint uh, i felt the need to say i was bisexual even though technically i'm pansexual too like that could fit mm-hmm. but bisexuality especially from a political standpoint from a rights standpoint, from a community standpoint, became a very important label for me. Um, cool. And that's, that's, that's where I am now. Um, but again, I'm always interrogating that. Um, I've met some really interesting people that have made me look at labels in general um, and say like, okay, do we really need them? And mm. so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to continue to grow. Anytime you stop growing is, you know, when you die. So I, I want to still stay fluid but yeah all that to say very is cool. i am cis bisexual <laughs> very cool so you really came to embrace it as this full identity in by request but that was a couple only a couple years ago actually it seemed like you had a lot figured out as soon as you walked in that room but maybe that room does something like that um <laughs> like it just gives people this confidence to to really access stuff they've been thinking about so I don't know. T- walk us, walk us up to that point. Start earlier. Like, when did you start to realize you might be something other than straight? I, th- I assume you identified as straight first, or maybe not. Maybe I shouldn't assume. Like, uh, when did you start to realize stuff, and what was that like, and how did you get to this point? So I've always known that uh, I've liked everyone uh, from a young age. Yeah. Um, w- during that time in elementary school, when you realize that you want to start smooching people, 
<laughs> I found out that I wanted to smooch uh, the girls uh, as much as I wanted to smooch the boys. You know, it was just like, hey, come on, everybody, let's smooch. Um, and Cute. I've always had that. I've always had that. And when I was, and, and, and I, I've talked with you, Rob, about this before, but like uh, for viewers at home, um, <laughs> I was married for a long time. But in, in that relationship, I was still queer, though the term I used was heteroflexible. Uh -huh. uh, like, I, yeah, I have issues with, with myself about that. If people want to use it, that's great. But just for mm -hmm. me, looking backwards, it was a bit of a cop-out. But um, I, always, I always liked multiple genders um, and expressions of gender. And it's always been with me, but I never had the courage or the confidence uh, to come out fully until I met someone, actually. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, my current partner, uh, who's trans non-binary. And mm -hmm. in being with them, I realized that they were living authentically and that I needed to bring just that same level of authenticity to the relationship. And it really kind of cracked me open. And once I had those beginning conversations, I realized like, holy crap can we curse on this i don't know can we yeah. <laughs> no oh, okay never no. we never fucking curse on this show <laughs> god damn it gabriel what the fuck oh. are you doing trying to ruin me okay so <laughs> this is a kid this is a kid friendly show. that's right they're playing this on pbs now i forgot you know um, all the little kids listening to how i love getting rimmed and stuff like that <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. So I realized, holy shit, um, this is something that uh, has held me back for mm -hmm. so many years. This is why I felt uncomfortable in rooms. This is uh, with other guys. This is why mm. I found myself wondering why certain gender roles were set up in certain ways or why couldn't I do this being a guy? Mm -hmm. What is the problem mm -hmm. with this? Or mm -hmm. um, what's the problem with me interacting with women in, in a certain way? What, what is wrong with that? Like all of this mm -hmm. stuff back to my queerness and mm -hmm. being able to crack it open, being able to not have that secret mm -hmm. really has changed my life. And um, it, it's, I, I, I understand the privilege in being able to come out. I understand that not everybody can due to safety, mm -hmm. due to location. I get that. Yeah. But if you can, it has been, and it's not hyperbole, it has been life-changing. Yeah. Um, even creatively, just not having that barrier, not having that self-censorship has allowed me to open up what I talk about, what I photograph, what I write, how I interact with people, how I present myself. It right. has just freed me, and I feel lighter and different. Um, it's kind of funny. Yeah. I had to renew my passport recently and the photo was from me 10 years ago and that I don't recognize that person anymore. I saw you posted that. I almost didn't recognize that person either. There's, there's like a, like a, I see pain. I see a pain uh -huh. and I see this like tightness, this closed off way of being. And then I look at the photo, which I just took for the replacement and I'm like, holy crap. First, my hair looks amazing. So like, I'm happy. <laughs> it I'm does, happy. It, your hair does look amazing. Okay, <laughs> I agree. I'm happy I went in that direction. 
but uh-huh. it just felt, I felt lighter. I saw it in my face. Yeah. I, I, and it's a, a way that I like to put it is sometimes you don't know how fucked up a situation is until you leave it and look uh-huh. back. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened to me. That's what happened to my whole looking at heteronormativity in the rear view mirror was mm-hmm. like, it was really fucked up. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize how fucked up it was because I was just surviving. I was just trying to make it through, play the game in the way that it's meant to be played so that I can win, you know, have a job, have a career, because if you're outwardly queer, these things are not guaranteed. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a lot. <laughs> that was a great intro. I have so that like sparked so many things as you're talking. Uh, so you really r- ran the gamut. Okay, let me see if I can try to remember and then I have more questions. But I do want to say I completely identify with what you're saying about coming out and like, yes, personal decision. Not everyone is in a position to do it, especially. And I do want to dig into this in a minute about like, if you're already married and then that's when you realize or like how to come out then. Okay. But pin in that because Mm -hmm. I agree that like, I didn't realize how hard it was to not be out until I was out. Like I thought it was fine and I would just take this thing to the grave and it wasn't that big of a deal. And like, Mm. it didn't affect all these other areas of my life. It didn't affect my work, my art, right. My writing, but, but you're completely right that of course it does. And of course, like once I was free, like of that mental gymnastics you have to do every day (laughs) to like, to make the thoughts in your head acceptable to the society we're in. Like that's really difficult. And once I was free of that, it was the only time I realized it, um, how, how difficult it was. And like, it's not just about sex. Like it, that's what it, where it starts for a lot of people because it's like, Hey, why are these the rules? Why are the, Mm -hmm. why can I only have sex with this type of person? But it's also about the, uh, our gender roles. And, but it, and then it's about like so many other things and monogamy and heteronormativity and like, rules of society in general and accessing yourself versus fitting in in society. So I completely understand that. Thank you. I mean, it's, it's been bubbling for a while now. Um, I I think, uh, I don't know about you, Rob, but I've had a lot of time on my hands recently, you know, I've been, Oh yeah. Why is that? Yeah. Like, I don't know. You haven't been busy. (laughs) I'm taking a sabbatical, you know, (laughs) just no. Um, Yeah. Pandemic time gives you time to think. Yeah. And uh, it's it's really made me go through again decisions that I've done and, and how my life how my life feels now, and uh-huh. it, it's really interesting picking this apart. Uh, gender roles, especially uh, how you mm-hmm. how you show yourself as a man, um, mm-hmm. is is so it's like filled with trip wires and and booby traps, and you mm-hmm. never know what's going to set one off. And of course, the the not the side effect, but the consequence of of tripping a landmine can be violence. Like it be it yeah. can be literal violence, and you right. don't know what will set it off. Right. Um, so and yeah. and the threat of things becoming violent for everyone who's around toxic masculinity is kind of violent in itself. Because just ima- like imagining what could turn bad and how the ways it could go is like oppressive too. Um, Again, and I have to say, I have it easy. 
Like I'm Cuban American, but if you look at me, I look like a white dude. I can't get away from that. I just look like a white dude. I'm in a male body and that has the highest level of privilege. And I'm worried about violence. I can't imagine what it's like for anyone else working at a more heightened level where it's it's like I'm working on easy mode and it was still such an oppressive uh, thing to deal with. Do you find there's any relationship between like the white passing privilege you may have felt and also like the straight passing privilege that people think by people have? Like, is it like, what is that experience like? Has it ever felt similar? Or do you feel either of those? Yes, um, I felt both of those. And um, I don't like calling it straight passing. I think more of it is by erasure. Like, you're yeah, not well, allowed yes. to be right. anything. Other straight than- passing in quotes, because yeah, that's, that's what people who aren't by think. Like the priv- straight passing privilege is what non-by yeah. people think being by gets you. Well, okay, so not to detract too much or to detour too much. Um, In a previous life, I was an IT consultant. And Uh so I traveled all over the United States doing computer work. IT, for being technologically advanced, is very socially conservative. It is not a very progressive industry, at least in my personal opinion from what I've encountered. So being anything other than straight male, and you got to think about it. There's this level on top of that. You have a bunch of nerds, right? So nerds, (laughs) and I'm a nerd too. We're all working at a deficit in the masculine games, right? We're Mm -hmm. not buff. We're not manly. We're, we're, we don't drive the fast car. Well, maybe some drive fast cars, but like in the masculinity game, the nerds Mm -hmm. are the bottom rung. So Mm -hmm. you have this kind of flip side where you have people that have some money now because IT pays well are now going into the hyper-masculine. Like they're really amping it up. They're buying the fast cars, the, the, the fancy stuff, the house, the the big house, uh, the hobbies, which are from gun collecting to God knows what else. Like it's hard to be anything other than very, very masculine. And it's a very white world, at least again, in my experience. So the privilege, quote unquote, that I had looking white, uh, being white, it's, I am white. Like you look at me, I'm white. Um, the privilege I have in that is that people end up being racist around me because they think, mm. oh, I'm just like them. Mm-hmm. And you have to politely remind people like, no, I'm Cuban American. I grew up very differently than you did. You know, not to mention my my partner at the time was Jewish. So like, hey, let's not use those slurs, please. You know, <laughs> be nice. Um, so that was mm-hmm. that was the experience of, of, of the passing privilege. Right. I felt trapped. I felt I was surrounded by people that uh, may or may not think I was human or mm-hmm. worth interacting with. And I had to keep pretending in order to keep working and feeling safe. Mm. Interesting. I want to ask about your relationships a little more because so I also identify with your current partnership with with a trans non-binary person. My partner is also trans non-binary. But tell us and like, I think that there's been interesting as we've talked about, like ways that that opens up space for each other, like 
the gen, you know, people exploring gender fluidity and sexual fluidity. So we, we can talk about that in a minute, but jump back to your first relationship. If you don't mind telling us a little more, like how, how old were you and long were you married? And did you identify to it's your wife, right? It was this woman. Did you, I, did you identify as by to her or heteroflexible or like, did you guys ever talk about that, you know, within the relationship? however much you are comfortable sharing. Ah, how much time we got on this podcast? <laughs> um, I met my ex when I was very young, uh, probably 19. Mm. We got married very young. How, mo- how much later? Uh, I was probably 22, 23. Okay. Okay. Um, so we, we spent a couple of years together before getting married and we were together for 15 years. Whoa. And yeah, that's it, a lot uh, of years. It's, it's a chunk of time. It's uh-huh. definitely a chunk of time. But I was always myself as much as I could be, as much as I allowed myself to be back then. Um, my ex and I, we'd go to gay clubs uh, we, together. We would go to, we had, oh God, we had some great drag friends, uh, drag queen friends down in Miami. It was a blast. You have never partied harder than if you've partied with drag queens. Oh my God. Very, <laughs> it's, great. it's difficult to keep up. Yeah. Um, so I was, we were both, um, I don't know what my partner would officially label themselves as now, uh, my ex, sorry, ex-partner, um, mm-hmm. but uh, the actions were very much queer, bisexual. So we were okay. a couple of bi folks um, having a good old time. And so, so were you, were you not monogamous? We occasionally enjoyed a special guest star okay. uh, would be the way I would put it. Okay. Um, but I didn't have the language back then or the maturity um, to say something like now I am polyamorous, you know, ethically uh-huh. non-monogamous. Uh-huh. Um, and I also understand how much work goes into that. It's not just a, an open relationship where, you know, shh, don't tell. <laughs> Uh, uh-huh. situation. But no, uh, we were open in that regards. Uh, we would have fun with somebody else together. Um, it, it, was, it wasn't, thankfully, it wasn't like a possession thing. It wasn't like you can't. It's just we never developed it past mm-hmm. that. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, so I was heteroflexible for the entire time. Um, there were many a times when I was dating my ex where they would see me making out with a dude and it was hilarious because we were all friends and you know, you know, when you're young, like all your friends are all the same people that you're probably banging and everyone's getting drunk together and it's all fun and games mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's good times. So yeah, that's, it can that's be, how it, it can be like that forever. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what I'm working for. When we're young, when that's we're young the- and now, hopefully now also <laughs> yes, yes, be friends and fuck everyone. No, oh. I'm kidding. So now contrast that if you if you're willing to talk about your current relationship or just your current polyamorousness, like how does that work? You said it's a lot of work. Like what is the work? Any differences, similarities between your monogamish relationship and and what you're in now as a fully out by queer pan person? The difference in the relationship is huge. Uh, one, because of me, what I'm bringing to the relationship. Um, mm. I'm not going to lie. Like back then, I probably wasn't my best. No, I'm not even going to say probably. I was not my best self. There was a lot of things that I didn't realize were coping mechanisms at the time. 
and I, you know, coping mechanisms along with socialized behaviors that were part and parcel of like the job or being a dude living in the South, which is a lot of excessive drinking, a lot of bullshit like that. And so I was not, I was not my best self and it was good until it wasn't. And that's a different story and a much longer tangent. I won't go into that, but my relationship now is one built on openness and communication and honesty. Like that's yeah. been the, yeah. the biggest difference, this kind of raw honesty yeah. where you can just admit to your feelings. You could admit that you fancy someone. Yeah. Um, your partner yeah. could admit that they fancy someone. They could go on a date and you'd be like, oh, I hope they have a good time. I hope they have fun. I hope they meet someone interesting. Yeah. It's very supportive. That's the thing. Like it's so supportive. I have a beautiful little polyamorous family right now. So it's uh, me, my partner, and my partner's partner. And we all live together and it's great. And we take care of each other and we support each other. And we're allowed to ask for help and be helped. Mm -hmm. We're allowed to be vulnerable. Actually, that might be the key. Being allowed to be vulnerable has been incredible. It's, I can't even describe it. Like life-changing is too trite of a phrase for it. Like to be able to be open and say, I'm struggling, I need help, or I'm going through this stuff, I would like to talk to you about it. And to have that be, have that space held for you yeah. In a way that doesn't feel judgmental, in a way that is supportive. Oh my God. Like, really, I have no yeah. words for that. I know exactly what you mean because it just reminds me of something that happened like a couple weeks ago where I went and met someone on Grinder and went over there. And it was like not great. It wasn't like mm. anything bad happened or anything that I like was uncomfortable with, but it also just like I had an expectation of what was going to happen. And it wasn't really that. I wasn't very turned on. And it was just like kind of a bust. And I got home and was able to talk to my partner about it. And they like had supported me and like it turned what when I was single might have been just like really annoying and frustrating and like demoralizing into actually a nice bonding moment for my partner and I. And on the flip side, like that's more rare on the flip side is like what you're talking about, which is compunction, I guess, which we've talked about here. Do you know compunction? compunction? Come what? Compersion. Compersion. What's compunction? Yes. I don't I even don't know, know what compunction is. It's just another <laughs> word that sounds similar. Compersion, compersion. Yes. is yes. the thing where, you know, the opposite of jealousy, taking pleasure in your in your partner's joy. And that's what we have most of all. Like if my partner goes and has a date or has sex with someone and, and has a good time or get, especially, especially if they get something out of it that isn't what I normally provide, right? Yeah. Like, I love that. I'm like, that's, that's great. That's awesome for you. And it's really nice to have that like radical honesty and just be open about everything. It makes me think of like people who cheat, you know, in heteronormative mm. monogamous marriages. I'm like, I will never cheat on anyone again. Cause I, not that I never did. Like I, I just can't imagine not talking about that and keeping that secret. It reminds me of being closeted and the mental gymnastics it would take to do it. Just like once you've been so honest and broken through the barrier of talking about these taboo things like polyamory or non-monogamy, 
it's it's very difficult to go back. It really is. I also really identify with what you were talking about, about like how the relationships were different, not necessarily because of your partners, although that may affect it, but because of you and who you were and where, you know, where you were. I think that's so common and not a lot of people talk about that of like, but my relationships before I came out were so different than after, even the ones after with women. So like, I just, I was a different person and I was more open and comfortable and confident. And like, I know we all, we're always looking for, I mean, not we, but you read online a lot about, mm. especially straight people looking for like a checklist or like, these are disqualifiers or this is what I want in a partner. And I, it's so much more important, like uh, who you are when you're in a relationship and what you're bringing into it. And, and all that is like, not just half the the battle, it's like more than half. I mean, it's not 100% because you also need a supportive and partner who clicks with you. But it's so it's it's so important, like where you are when you enter a relationship. Very true. And, and how you grow together. And to, to kind of jump off that checklist, the one thing that has been, and I want to be clear, like there's room for monogamy, there's room for polyamorous um, relationship styles. Like one is not better than the other. It's not. I'm just saying that I have found joy in this. But the one thing that has been incredible is being told one person does not have to meet all your needs. Yeah, right. And when I realized that that also applied to myself, that I did not need to meet all of someone's needs, it took this incredible pressure. Mm -hmm. Because I know a lot of the difficulties I had during my marriage is that we were put into situations where all our needs had to be met by the other on top of like the world being on fire a little bit. And so it's, it's impossible. We were putting each other into an impossible situation. So of course things were going to go sideways because it's not fair. It wasn't fair to her. It wasn't fair to me. So now that I'm free of that, now that I don't have that in my head where like, you're going to be with this person for 40 years. And if they don't like the kind of movies that you watch, then fuck it. You never watch those movies again. Or, I mean, how many times have you heard like, oh, the old lady doesn't let me do so-and-so, so so I got to go out with the guys to do it. it, Uh Instead of becoming people that are supporting each other, it's more like uh, opponents that fight Mm. and Mm -hmm. that um, are antagonists instead of joining together. Like Again, the vulnerability and being able to support each other has been such a huge difference for me. And honestly, you can get that in monogamy as well. I think I think the biggest part has been the queerness and the authenticity, being open, um, yeah. has has made all of that kind of possible. I wouldn't be here right now if I hadn't. I mean, honestly, yeah, if I hadn't accepted myself, I wouldn't be in London. Mm. It's it's really weird to say it that way, but if I yeah, if I had not accepted that I was bisexual, I know that the series of events that came after that, mm. I would not have ended up where I am now. Interesting. Cause you went there cause you're following just what feels right for you at, at each turn and not like following some prescribed path. Is that sort of how that happened? Also in being authentic and open, I was able to meet a person who accepted that. And then that mm. led, has led my life in so many beautiful new directions. 
mm. um, that I would not have had access to if I couldn't just be like on top of that. I, I know you said that I was very confident when I walked into uh, by request and that is, that's actually a dirty little secret of being an IT consultant or a consultant in general, yeah. right? You never let them see you sweat. You always mm -hmm. have that confidence that fake it till you make it. So I'm used to turning that on. And so I'm like, yeah, bah, 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 and just really uh -huh. leading into it, even though inside I was still detoxing from being in the closet. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff that I'm still working through now. So a lot of negative um, things that are tied to uh, being in the closet, pretending to be straight, uh, masculine roles uh, it, from that time. But I hid that. I hid all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Interesting. Yeah. So that's kind of why I was able to pull it off. But having a, a partner like I have now who has supported me as I work through my shit yeah. has been amazing. That's awesome. It's interesting because I like, I think if you probably met me a few months into by my time at BuyRequest and I was probably getting more confident by then, but I have had people from BuyRequest tell me who were there like when I first started going, Rob, you seem so different now. Like when, when you first came in, you were like closed up, like literally my body language was like closed off, like hunched, like nervous, small, making myself small. Like I wanted, I remember walking in wanting to sit in the corner of the room and not talk like the back corner and That's then a it's a move. circle. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a circle of chairs. And so I couldn't. And so I ended up talking, but like, but the transformation was something I didn't even realize for myself, like how different I was. And then, you know, I really opened up metaphorically and literally my body language. I just became more comfortable. I was going to say, when I met you, you were super chill, just splayed out on the floor, just like, yeah, come right. on in. My request is great. You're like, exactly. it, you're so welcoming yeah. um, and, and comfortable. And that's so yeah. hard to find someone who feels comfortable in yeah. their queerness and for people that have been in that straight world for so long. Right, right. It took me a few months. I was not there at the beginning, but I guess <laughs> by the time you walked in, I was. Um, last question on on this stuff but like we get a, so many listeners to the podcast who are married and like you many of them got married young to a cis woman uh and and maybe only you know fully began to explore or in some cases explored at all you know their bisexuality after they got married do you uh i mean your story alone is helpful for people but do you have any thoughts or advice for like you know what it means to be married and figuring this stuff out for people in those situations. I've actually seen some of these relationships. Um, I've, I've bumped into people who have been queer and um, uh, typically just is, it's been the guy, the guy has been queer and exploring and the wife is kind of like along for the ride. Um, the one thing I could say is being honest and, and having, real vulnerable communication before you do anything uh -huh. would be your best chance of success. Cause I've encountered so many people who just feel like you could see the hurt on the, on the partner's face because they had someone in their lives who kept a secret. Now, granted, I, I understand that. I understand the keeping of the secret, but the way that they revealed it is by cheating on them. Um, mm -hmm. and that is, it, it's like, 
stabbing someone and twisting the knife. It is this, mm -hmm. this betrayal and this pain. And it doesn't have to be that way. Right. It's scary. It is so fucking scary to come out to someone who you love, who doesn't right. know that you are. Uh, it may be a family member or a partner or a friend. If you love them and you care for them, it's still scary because you don't know if they're going to accept you. But right. you have to start there. You have right. to start from that moment of vulnerability and honesty because you can build some amazing stuff from that point. Mm -hmm. But if you start from another point, if you start from a point of deceit, if you start right. from a point of pain and betrayal, it's, it's going to be much harder to recover from that or to maintain what you have. Right. That makes so much sense. It's good advice. I also think it's like a little bit of a catch 22 and it can be hard for people because I don't know how to, if there's a solution to this or it's depends on the person, but it's like, I think many people, even if there's no cheating with someone else, the fact this, just the fact of keeping this information from a partner can feel deceitful or can feel like cheating in a way. Uh, I totally understand why it happens. And for many men or women who are exploring sexuality also, or gender identity, like it's all the same. It's like, you have to explore it yourself and figure it out yourself. And you don't necessarily want to come out to a partner and threaten a relationship if you're not sure about something like you want to yeah. kind of know first, but then the longer you wait and figure it out and you're not telling your partner, they, they may feel a certain way about, you know, not knowing all this about their partner. So it's like a heart. It's like, you kind of have to take that leap, but at the same time that that can make it harder to really fully explore yourself if the, if your partner isn't going to be supportive. I don't know if you have a thought about that. It's very hard. Yeah. I, uh, I did think about that. And I, my, my luck was that I was in between relationships. <laughs> so uh -huh. I, I started from the, I'm by upfront and that, that helped. But every time that I kind of kept it secret when I was dating between relationships and then revealed it later, it never really went well. It was just better to be upfront because if some people reject you, great. They weren't meant for you. You know, if they can't accept you, was if they can't accept you on your worst day, they don't get you on your best day. So if this part was a red flag for them, great, go somewhere else. I'm going to be with people yeah. who like me for me, not like a yeah. version of me. Right. Right. Exactly. It can be so hard because you might be threatening a relationship, right? But yeah. at the same time, if who you are threatens a relationship, it may not be a good relationship for you because it's very important to like being who you are is just as important or po probably more so than any relationship you're in. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So guess what, Gabriel? We have a sponsor for Two <laughs> Bye Guys this year. Can you believe it? Hooray! So it's time for some sponsorship. Support for Two Bye Guys is provided by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but that's what it says. Manscaped is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Uh, Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. That rhymes. I like that. 
Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. The 4.0. Wow. I have never even heard about the 1, 2, and 3.0, but that is impressive, 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code 2BYGUYS at manscaped.com. T-W-O-B-I-G-U-I-S. So Gabriel, as funny as that little intro is, I mean, I like the jewels part. I actually really like this product. They sent me one. They sent me the lawnmower 4.0, not 3.0. Uh, they sent you something, I think. Uh, they they sent me the same, yeah. So I actually really liked it. I'll talk I'll talk about why in a moment, but what, what was your experience with this product? I mean, first of all, the shipping was quick because I think I got mine before you even got you, yours. You got it before me and you're in the UK. <laughs> yeah, um, it was like, come on. You, 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 when you get something like this, you think, okay, is this going to be gimmicky? What is this going to be? Uh-huh. And I am a hairy person, you know, beard, long hair. So you're thinking like, okay, what's this going to do? It was fantastic. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Um, I found it to be more of a deforestation tool as opposed mm-hmm. to like a styling tool. Like if you got uh, some lines and if you want to keep something real trim, it was great for that. I was surprised by the flashlight. Yeah. I did not know there was going to be a flashlight on it. and Which is very helpful and nice, right? You need to really see all where, where are the little hairs? You can't always see them. Where to go, especially if you're like in the shower, it's not like you have amazing lighting in there to begin with. So, uh-huh. it, it did was you really... use it in the shower? Yes, I used it in the shower. Oh, I and gotta was... try that. <laughs> it was really good. Granted, there was parts of me that I hadn't seen under direct lighting like that before, so that takes a moment. But it, I found it to be um, easy to use, easy to hold, surprisingly light, um, and yeah. the grip was great. Like I was not worried about slipping and then nicking things or any of that mm-hmm. jazz. I mean, you still have to be careful, but I loved it. It was a, it was a smooth experience. <laughs> Literally smooth. <laughs> I So yeah, no. So I also, I too am a hairy person. Uh, <laughs> I once shaved my chest hair in like college or something. And then when it grew back, it was really like itchy. And so I've never done it since because I hated how itchy it was. Uh, and I was, so I was a little nervous to do this because of that, but didn't that wasn't a problem i didn't have any itchiness during or after uh, i didn't use it in the shower i should but i agree with you it was nice it was easy to use i i didn't really worry about cutting myself and it didn't happen i just i just trusted the product completely as they told me to and it worked out fine no nicks or anything uh and so okay I didn't shave everything. I'm doing it in stages because I like, well, I want to test it out a little. And I will say that I would not have bought something like this. Like I wouldn't have thought, oh, I'm going to shave down there. I would just continue my life as it was and never realize what I was missing out on. But I was missing out on something because I shaved my balls. Like that was the thing they talk about a lot. And so I did that. And like, it was easy to do. And I really like it. Like this week <laughs> I've had very smooth shaved balls and like surprisingly nice. Like I really just like it. I I, I don't know if I'm going to go back to not doing this. Like okay. it, it's surprise. It's surprisingly shockingly good. Now I have a podcast where I'm talking about shaving my balls. Isn't this what I always wanted? Uh, I'm proud of how far you've come. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. 
mom and dad, if you're listening, get 20% off and free shipping with the code two by guys at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code two by guys, T W O B I G U Y S. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Okay, new topic. I asked you what you wanted to talk about today, uh, and you had a very interesting topic. I'm just going to read some keywords that we were talking about and then have you explain what you were thinking, and we'll get into it. But we wanted to talk today about toxic masculinity. This is a Mm -hmm. podcast about masculinity. We're wanting to talk about gender and gender roles a lot more this season. You brought up the casual cruelty of heteronormativity being a man as inherently cruel, toxic, or violent, or all three. Um, The idea of shaking off expectations or self-criticism when we play into those expectations, and also the struggles of detoxing from het masculinity as you become more queer. So this, I mean, this could be hours and hours discussing all those points, but tell us what you're thinking about that. Like, what did you mean by some of those things? It's something that, again, I had a lot of time on my hands. And um, (laughs) it was also something that I was noticing in my relationship, in the way that I interacted with other people. I am normally, I try to be a friendly, supportive, nice person, right? It's not, I'm not, it's not positive to be fake. It's just, just me. I try to be a nice guy. I like people. I like being supportive. I, I enjoy that. And I found myself being mean or being cruel or just not giving people the benefit of the doubt as a reflex, like not giving them space just to be human, like keeping them to this weird standard that I didn't even understand why I was holding anybody to. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while to realize that I was detoxing from being in the closet for so long. Mm. Um, Hannah, Hannah Gadsby talks about Uh it in Nanette where she was saying that being in the closet for all those years, you're like saturated in like shame and all these emotions. For me, it was being saturated in what it meant to be a man, a Mm -hmm. straight white man. And there is a lot of casual cruelty. There is a lot of this fake meritocracy where everyone's in it for themselves and you only get stuff because you're the best quote unquote, Mm -hmm. because you worked harder completely erasing any privilege idea of privilege or luck or, or anything else. Like it was this dog eat dog version of being a man. And it allowed no room for empathy. It allowed no room for weakness or vulnerability. It, it, it left very little room for honesty. You had to play a part. You couldn't be as honest as you would want to be because that was frowned upon. And it sounds, it sounds like the, sorry to interrupt it. Just, it hmm. sounds like the group thread I have with my straight white male college friends where it's like, there's no vulnerability on the group thread, except maybe from me. And like anything is like, it's all this like capitalistic achievement based stuff. And like, and like everything is logical and market-based and we're proving points and stuff. And like, Anything that's like gets veers a little bit into vulnerability or like opening up to people, then somebody will make a joke and we won't go down that road. Yeah. 
Exactly. You're not allowed to be human. You're not allowed to have feelings. And I I encountered that so often um, with the people I worked with or just the people I met on the road. When Mm -hmm. when you're traveling, if you're – I like to say that I have the face of a priest. People love to confess things to me. So whenever I was at bars or airports or airport bars and just traveling through the world, people would open up to me in ways that I, it just, I guess they felt comfortable, but it was always lubricated with alcohol. Uh And I encountered so many men who were hurting so bad. They were in real pain. It was either from loneliness or from trauma or from just this kind of emotional black hole that they were living in and they would try to connect with me and i felt the fear in them that they would lubricate to try to get around i would feel the 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 anger sometimes at themselves for having these feelings in the first place Mm -hmm. and i know i'm talking about this as an external but i had those same issues too i had Mm -hmm. those same this fear of being vulnerable with the people this fear of 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 allowing myself to want and need things and vocalize that need to others Mm -hmm. there's something that i experienced that i guess started me on this track before i fully embraced being bisexual and that was going through stage four cancer Mm. and there's nothing that will make you more vulnerable than having your body betray you in a very very severe way Mm. and i had my entire support system disappear overnight because you can't be vulnerable you can't Mm. remind people of death you can't be struggling no you're supposed to be a fighter which i hate i've always hated the cancer fighter mythos Mm -hmm. i did not fight cancer i did not throw a punch i did not succeed because i trained harder or visualized Mm -hmm. stronger Mm -hmm. i survived because of science and luck that's how I made it through. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of people that haven't survived. And it wasn't because they didn't fight hard enough. It's because they didn't catch it in time or other reasons. Not tied again to that meritocracy. Like the people that win are always the best. No, yeah. no. Sometimes yeah. it's just dumb luck. Yeah. But being vulnerable like that, having everything taken away from me, even my mental faculties, because a side effect of chemotherapy is uh, chemo brain. Like you lose your ability to, to be sharp or to be on top of things. And when you work in an industry that is all thought-based, it, it, you, you drop down the ranks real fast. Mm-hmm. So having that moment made me re-examine everything. It made me re-examine my relationships, how I interacted with people. And it really made me see that this vulnerability was verboten. It was just not allowed in this world. Mm-hmm. And I've always had that, like that thought, that, that seed in me. And when I watered it with queerness, it has blossomed into something else uh, amazing. But, but that was the catalyst for me, having cancer and seeing my world huh. disappear. My whole world crumbled in an instant, and it's never really fully recovered, at least not that part of my life, really changed the way I look at empathy and emotion and vulnerability. That's so interesting because as you're talking, it's like before I came out, I didn't quite realize how much these expectations of masculinity and like relationships are baked in everywhere in society and baked into people's consciousness, even some queer people, but like for sure, 
straight people, you almost don't realize it walking through the world as a, as a straight person. And then like suddenly everything changed and I saw it differently. Um, and it, and like, it's, it is really about this vulnerability that like something about coming out and telling people this thing I never was going to then affected my ability to be vulnerable in many other arenas and in many other ways. And like, I like forced myself to do it with my sexuality. Cause like I felt at the time, like I had to, I couldn't keep the secret any longer, but now then there's like little things where I'm like, why should I keep that to myself? It's not a big deal, but why keep it to myself? It's if it's any deal at all, let me just talk about it and be open with people that I trust. I'm curious, did like, did the coming out or realizing stuff coincide with your cancer diagnosis and getting better? Like, were they tied in any way? No, there were many years after the fact. I got cancer when I was uh, 31. Uh And I didn't come out until I was 38. Uh So it took a while. But that definitely started the journey. Having everything... It's again, once you've lost everything and you start from scratch, you start looking at the building materials and like, why am I using this? Why Mm -hmm. is this the foundation I'm working on? Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) I noticed it in, in some of the reactions that I've had from like the past of where you give no space to another human being to be human. They fuck up in some way or they lost out um, or you dismiss other people. Like that's the other thing too. Uh, again, when when your whole identity is tied around this alpha male lone wolf bullshit, and you only think of yourself as a singular unit, then you only interact with people based on whether or not they will help you achieve your mm. goals. Mm. There's very little sense of community. There is mm. camaraderie, but there's no community. There's no real mm. support. And the moment that something happens to you, that challenges your ability to maintain that that kind of like masculine virileness you notice people disappear people leave Mm -hmm. they're not there to Mm -hmm. help you and so like with the with the cruelty is the the whole like if someone is emotionally struggling like i found myself doing this and I, i really hated myself for it like if somebody is emotionally struggling it's like just suck it up like that thought came in my head just suck it up Mm -hmm. where the fuck does that come from why aren't people allowed to process their emotions and show the vulnerability? Why am I so uncomfortable sitting here with someone and not trying to fix it, not trying to give them advice, just trying to be here with them in the moment and support them? Why can't I do that? Why is that against the reflexes that I've had for the past 30 plus years? Right. And it's totally counterproductive to keep that stuff bottled up, like to conform to those masculine expectations doesn't help anyone. Like it, it, it no, might make it, it like nicer to be in public. Cause you don't have to talk about hard shit, but like bottling it up just makes it worse. And that's when t- masculinity becomes really toxic and potentially violent is like when people have bottled it up and they can't express it, it's going to turn into something. It's going to come out some way i have worked with people um that again in my my consulting days my consulting days i had a lot of exposure to masculinity across the spectrum um from the virile masculine to the disabled to the queer to the to like the people on the edges of it and 
I've seen people in tears, in tears, because it's finally coming out, right? Though it's also probably because they're blackout drunk at that time. Like it, it's it's sad that it gets to that point. But you can see this pain. And then what's even worse is after it's released, after they've had that moment, they just bottle it up twice as hard and berate themselves. They're like, well, fuck me. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have slipped. I should have stayed strong, been stoic. And then they, I mean, the number of people that that I've encountered that drink to self-medicate because Mm -hmm. of the reason that they don't know how to cope. They don't know how to Mm -hmm. deal with their emotions. They're not allowed to be vulnerable. So they press it down or they numb themselves to it. And I'm not talking just externally. I numbed myself to a lot of it. And Mm -hmm. only looking back again, only being outside of a fucked up situation that I realized how fucked up it was. Only right. looking back that I realized what I was doing to myself in order yeah. to just make it through this version of the world. Right. I think there's some interesting similarities between like 12 step programs and like detoxing from an actual substance and also detoxing from heteronormativity, which is the way you put it. Like yeah. it's a great way to put it because I think it's so related and probably the the thing that comes up for me first of like the parallel is this vulnerability. And is this like, being okay with not being okay and sharing that and asking for support and giving support to other people. It's something that I've encountered in both worlds. Um, like mm. I've been to Al-Anon cause I have a family member in AA and, and it really felt very similar sometimes to going to a by request meeting cause you're getting support from each other. And it also kind of, I think shows you how baked in like, capitalism and patriarchy is with heteronormativity that it's all this like hierarchical system of achievement and of rankings and of like if you're more successful you must have done better things and and then you get to these communities that are you know more socialist and like and 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 it's coincided in me with like a drive toward my politics being more socialist and and like i think that what do you call it um mutual aid i think it's mutual aid yeah mutual aid it's like is like this concept that i didn't really have access to before Uh, and so many of my straight white male friends still kind of don't can't wrap their heads around because capitalism is so baked in um and that's the system exactly you know if you have more then you must have done more retroactively to earn (laughs) it but that's not always the case No. And what's so wrong with helping people? What's so wrong with caring for the people around you? Like, why are we all trying to silo ourselves off into these little spaces where nothing gets in, but nothing gets out? Uh How how do you live that way? It's so isolating and so painful. Like Bill Burr makes a joke about it. You know, guys having a heart attack at 40 because they can't admit a puppy's cute for like 30 years and been pressing it down and it just pops. Yeah. You know, it's like, why, why do you have to live that way? Yeah. I, okay. So I also want to talk about this like idea of masculinity as like cruel, toxic, like these things that we don't like. And yet we are masculine. I mean, you and I are cis men. uh, And I I, like, I'm, we, I talked about this with Alex last week. I'm comfortable identifying as a man although I'm starting to be a little uncomfortable by it, but because I don't want to be associated with this violence and cruelty 
And yet I also have gotten the privileges from this identity. So it's like a, it's like a tension in me of like how to identify and how to, you know, not just take more privilege by dissociating with the bad parts, but associating with the parts that I'm fine with. It makes me think of a tweet that I saw this week. <laughs> Somebody called transsexual Joseph Stalin tweeted this. <laughs> last week I <laughs> last week I also read a tweet by somebody who called themselves transsexual something. I forget. I guess that's a that's like a thing going around Twitter right now. <laughs> okay, so transsexual Joseph Stalin tweeted People say people are like, quote, gender is a spectrum. And then and then this is meant to be sarcastic. I don't know if you'll get if you're not reading it, but it says assigned male at birth is very bad. Non-binary is good if no penis. Assigned female at birth is good. So the spectrum like gender is a spectrum. Yeah. And like masculine is bad. Feminine is good. Non-binary is okay. If you don't have a penis. So it's like, it's like this joke. I mean, this person was making of how do we escape this or, you know, like we look at it as a spectrum and yet it's a spectrum of good to bad in many ways, but should it be? Okay. And then the point is somebody responded to that tweet with a actual vulnerable, genuine Mm. message as opposed to a joke. And this person said, Genuinely, the reason it took me so long to fully accept that I was non-binary was because I was paranoid that I was just trying to separate myself from being a man. And this is actually pretty validating. So it's like, Mm. I guess my question is, you know, I've been flirting with the idea of a non-binary identity, but I also don't feel comfortable claiming that because I am comfortable as a man, as a cis man. But like, how do you view that like struggle to detach from the violent parts and the toxic parts of masculinity while also like recognizing that you own it? I don't know. It's something I'm struggling with. I guess to take a page from uh, the wonderful folks who are working towards racial equality and things like that. um, uh, You need to dismantle it. You need to dismantle Mm -hmm. it from the inside and it kind of like in a weird tangential way, kind of like me accepting that I am a white Hispanic. I'm not white passing. I'm not white adjacent. I'm white because I wanted to separate myself from whiteness, but I, that's not fair. And that's not correct. I am white. If a cop comes up at a car and I'm sitting there, he sees white guy. He doesn't see a Hispanic guy. Mm-hmm. So I need to dismantle that from within. I need to, and, and the way that I'm doing it is, by trying to be kind, by showing empathy, by calling out cruelty when I see it. Like, why? Why can't you hug your friend? Why can't you be someone who takes care of somebody else? Why is it gay to have feelings? Like, that's the only way that I can think of being successful. We all have to kind of remove the toxicity from inside. We have to scrub it clean. We can't go outside of it and then like sandblast it from the outside, that just makes it look pretty on the outside, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mm-hmm. do anything about the inside. It doesn't do anything about the foundation. And by showing people, by showing straight, regular, everyday men, like there's men who are kind and who are straight and that take offense to what I'm saying because they don't consider themselves cruel. And they're not, they're not cruel people, but there's so much cruelty inherent in the gender role of being a man, and especially mm-hmm. when tied to capitalism. So how do we do that? We show kindness. We show the other way of being. We, we lead 
with the empathy. We lead by holding the space and by mm -hmm. having those conversations and not dismissing people in the same way that they dismiss us. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. you, you, you got to build a bridge and try and not everyone's going to cross that bridge and not everybody even wants to look at the bridge. But at least in trying, you know that you're you're making a real concerted effort to to dismantle that because right. we can't. I, I'm I'm cis. I'm a guy. I I don't want to identify as anything else as a man. So I need to fix the house that I live in. Um, right is the way I look at it. That's a great way to put it. Uh, it reminds me of this class I took last year on dismantling white supremacy, and it's like. Right. We can't really escape it. Like we're, we're in this system for the foreseeable future and doesn't do anyone any good to pretend like we're not and like we're not getting some privileges from it. And like, you know, people might be afraid of us because of that and because of toxic masculinity and what we could become if they don't know us. And so we have to live within that. And at the same time, we also have to work to dismantle it. And so, and like, that's, it. I, I agree with you completely that we have to bridge that gap. It's like, I, I think when I'm struggling with it, I'm just looking at myself and my own life and like how people relate to me, but you're right. It like is so tied to our politics and our activism. And it's why that is so inherently tied to queer identities um, is that like, we have to be advocating for an agenda and pushing for equal rights and like believing people like we want to be believed about our sexuality, believing people about their gender identity, believing people about the experiences they've had with racism, you know, all, all of these different forms of oppression, like we have to unite and work to dismantle them. And that that's the only way I think like I can live with myself as, as who I am is like to be doing both of those things. Yeah, totally. Exactly. going to do a little bit of Q&A and it's actually kind of some of them are a little related to what we're talking about. So let's let's jump right into that. Somebody wrote in, I'd say an episode on masculinity would be a great topic. This is exactly what we're talking about. This person wrote uh, a lot of in particular, a lot of masculine stereotypes kept me acting like someone else for a long time and prevented me from accepting myself and coming out. There could be some great stories about how some of us who identify as male have had to navigate the standards of toxic masculinity while living out a lifestyle that goes against a lot of what society expects of men. I mean, we've we've basically touched on this, but does that bring up anything else for you about like preventing you from accepting yourself by by conforming to stereotypes? I mean, yeah. Every 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 day that I was still in the closet, I was you're not going to have a conversation with guys and be like, Hey, I really like this musical that came out <laughs> or, <Right>. um, <laughs> you know, like, Oh, I saw this chick flick, you know, air quotes. And, uh, I thought it was really well made. It, you know, it was really emotional. Like you can't have that. You're not allowed to. Yeah. So you right. can't, it, it shuts you down. It's right. You have to navigate it. And it's, it, it is restrictive and weird and it does prevent you from realizing. Cause then you have that self-talk like, why right. do I like this stupid shit? Why do I like this? You know, this is right. girl stuff or this is other yeah. people's stuff, you know, and you, you end up like whipping yourself with the same thing that's whipping you from the outside. You, you keep yourself trapped in that cycle. Right. Um, 
on that topic exactly like i loved musicals growing up i mean i still do i think it's my favorite thing in the world a good musical and i grew up in new york and my parents took me to stuff thankfully like they're they were into it too and it was this weird thing that i like hid from my friends and didn't really talk about even though like once i had a car and i could drive around in a car myself I had all these show tunes in my car and I knew all the words and I would literally drive around town and be singing the songs. And then if a friend got in the car with me, that CD came out before they got in the car and went back in the CD folder. You know, oh, this is wow. before MP3. And like, <laughs> I, I did not listen to musicals with friends because of it was not masculine or I was afraid it would be seen as gay. Like it was seen as gay if people... Mm-hmm heard and in my head i was like why are these things conflated i i'm have relationships with girls i like girls i was still like kind of repressing my thoughts toward men but i was like why is this related at all and it is because this idea of masculinity and sexuality are very tied together and we don't let feminine men be straight or be bi like it's all tied together there's another question on the same topic let me read it somebody said I think acting romantic and presenting as male are pretty comp- conflicted in Euro-based societies. Boys don't cry. Boys don't hug. Boys don't show feelings. That sort of guidance messes people up to the point where I feel if someone's seeking out a male companion, they feel kind of obligated to keep it friends with benefits only, sex only, no feelings, just feeling each other up. So like, how can we remove the effects of toxic masculinity from the bi guy experience? Blah, blah, blah. What do you want? What if you do want romance or a male romantic partner? I mean, we don't have to get into that so much, but it's this idea of like being romantic isn't so masculine or like it, it it's very, it's only masculine if it's in a certain constrained, like heteronormative way of like buying someone flowers and chocolates and like, it's still very dominant in a way. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, more that the only form of romance that's allowed is sexual conquest. Uh-huh. You know, that's if right. you're a guy, then you you just sleep with a lot of people and that's romantic or whatever. Um, it's also strange that I, I don't know if Eurocentric would be the term I would use. I, I feel like that's more like maybe American because growing uh-huh. up in a Hispanic culture down in Miami, there was a lot of hugging and touching and kissing on cheeks and stuff like that. So it is interesting how um, toxic masculinity or these rigid forms of masculinity are a little different as you go between cultures. Um, but yeah, romance is frowned upon. Having emotions is frowned upon. Um, if you like somebody too much, you're a simp. If you, uh, if a you show simp? your- what? What's a simp? Uh, I, I don't, right. let me not, let's retract that one. But like, I don't, okay. We don't have the time to get into that. Um, okay. If you have emotions, you're gay. If you like someone and tell them, like. That whole concept of being into somebody and not just being honest and saying, hey, I like you. I think you're cool. You play these bullshit games where you're aloof or you don't want to be honest Uh or you give that Uh hard to get or whatever shit as opposed to just being like, hey, we only have one life to live. So I might as well use the time well and admit that, hey, I think you're pretty cool and I would like to spend some of my life with you. Right. Why is that so verboten? Why is that so frowned upon? Right. It's so simple when you say it like that. And yet I know that I was so locked into this extreme fear of rejection. I think so many men, especially straight men, have this 
intense fear of rejection, whether they realize it or address it or not. And that causes so much violence too, because like, you're going to be rejected sometimes. Not everyone is going to like you. And like, it's good to put yourself like, and that fear gets people so worked up and yeah. Why can't it just be like that? I, I remember I, I would like what growing up, the thing I looked for was someone who was into me, not like, who am I into? And then how am I going to talk to them about it? It was like, Oh, that person likes me then. Okay. That's good. I, I like them now because that's, that solves the rejection problem. I know I won't be rejected. And like, that was how I had a lot of early relationships. So just like going along with it to avoid rejection. And what like a weird kind of domino effect. You don't have right. the ability to deal with your emotions and you don't have the ability to deal with rejection. So when you are rejected, you know, they just hit each other and it causes a right. series of events that, yeah, sometimes right. leads in violence or right. anger or other right. sorts or of de- or depression and anxiety and other or like other coping mechanisms that only make it worse. When if you just started from the, hey, I can deal with my feelings because I've learned how to process them because I could admit to having them. Right. No dominoes, you know? Right. <laughs> right. Now I can go to a sex party and walk up to someone. And, and if I get rejected, that's fine. Okay, move on. Move on. Go back, yeah. go back to the bar, have a drink, find someone else. <laughs> be, be, friend, be friends with the person. Okay. Be friendly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Last question. Any books or TV shows or films or stuff with bisexuality or queerness in it that you've been enjoying lately? I have been comfort watching a show and comfort watching is something new for me. I tend to watch a show and that's it. I don't go back to it. I move on to the next thing, but I've been watching uh, Greg Araki's now apocalypse. Mm. Ah. It's the only TV series he's done. He's known for doing doom generation and nowhere. And I think living at the end is, is one of the other ones. And mm-hmm. he, he was part of like the 90s queer cinema wave that came out. I love his stuff. It's really great. And yeah. the show, actually, it's co-written by, uh, by Carly Sabrina. Shortino. Carly Shortino, season two guest. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like she and uh, Greg and her, they both came together and wrote this, this version of the world where being queer and being vulnerable and just being yourself is like celebrated. Yes, everyone is gorgeous. So that really helps. But the bisexuality <laughs> is is like it's there. Um, or you have a character who's who identifies as gay, but has a, a moment with a female partner. But then it's not like a moment of self-hate. It's just like, hey, this was fun. I wanted to do it. It was so casual and so accepted. And it was it was really beautiful just seeing that kind of relaxed people being themselves and not mm-hmm. judging each other about it and, and being hot and being in LA and having lots of sex. It's mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's been a great watch. Yeah. I, I love that. I've only seen the pilot. I guess I should keep going and watch the whole thing because I just love the idea of like, we talk a lot about a bi character. Somebody comes out on a show as bi or like a bi storyline. Great. Fine. But like, that seems like it's an entire queer universe. Like the expectation is queerness among the characters. Like the world is fluid and open. That was how the pilot felt at least. So it's like such a different feeling than just having a character to latch onto. And 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 that's the world we want. Like that's the world I see in the future and want to create. So like, let's show people that whole world. Yeah, go ahead. 
It was great. And it was very inclusive too. That was the thing that I liked. The bodies weren't all the same thin white bodies. Like they were people from all over and it, it's a great watch. It's, it's a little dumb and it's a little out there and it's very, very sexy. Don't watch it with your parents. Um, but it, it's great. It's really been comforting. It, it, it's, it's made the queerness inside me go, mm, this is nice. <laughs> Lovely. I love it. Cool. Well, we could go on and on. There are always a million questions and you'll have to come back sometime and answer some more. But thank you so much for doing this. And also, Gabriel is coming back next week. Gabriel is my first guest host. This season, we're going to have a few guest hosts so that I can take a little breather and keep the podcast going and also get some new voices in here and some new people asking the questions, which may lead us to some new things instead of the same shit I always talk about. Uh, But Gabriel, uh, tell us a little bit about what we can expect to hear next week. I know you haven't done the interviews yet, but tell us what's going to happen. So I'm currently living in London. And uh, if you've looked at the news, there's a lot of issues going on with trans rights here. And there's also a lot of transphobia and misinformation in the media when discussing this uh, very important topic. So I will be interviewing three uh, bi trans mask people about their day-to-day lives, what it's like to live in the UK. They don't all live in London, um, and they'll be sharing what it's like to be a a bi trans uh, mask in here. And um, I feel that them telling their own stories is what's important. Like you said, voices are like, I'm I shouldn't be saying it. We should take it, you know, directly from the source. So I'm very excited. Awesome. They're very cool Me people. Too. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the interviews. Me too. That's awesome. Uh, I, it was such a great idea you had because like we've been, there's so much overlap between the bi and the trans and non-binary community. And we've been wanting to dig into that. So until then, thank you, Gabriel, for being here on Two Bi Guys. Thank you awesome. for having me. This has been incredible. Yeah. Looking forward to having you back soon. (laughs) Yes. Two Bye Guys is edited and produced by me, Rob Cohen, and it was created by me and Alex Boyd. Our music is by Ross Mincer. Our logo art is by Caitlin Weinman. And we are supported by The Gotham, formerly IFP. Thanks for listening to Two Bye Guys.